Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here today on The Communication Architect. Each week, we'll share content that will empower you to grow your personal leadership capacity through the development of communication competencies that build emotional health and relational resilience. We'll unpack some practical applications of interpersonal, intrapersonal, family, and organizational communication. And we'll connect with stories of transformation that will inspire you to achieve personal and social change. Now, let's build the scaffolding you need to become a communication architect. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I am Dr. Lisa Dunn, a lifelong homeschooling parent, author, and president of Chula Vista Christian University, a homeschool-based four-year university that centers on mentor-driven, faith-based, debt-free higher education. You know, after 20 years in the college classroom, I saw the brokenness and the dysfunction of modern education, and I wanted to be part of the solution. So now for almost two decades, my husband and I have run homeschool support academies through local churches, and we believe this unique partnership with parents and the local church is a powerful way to rescue people from the indoctrination of the public sector. If you're new to the show, we're in a season where we're unpacking American education, so be sure to scroll back on my podcast for tips on breaking free from the system getting started on the parent-directed journey, interviews with new and lifelong homeschoolers, and a whole lot of research that I hope will equip and inspire you for the road ahead. Thank you to Creative Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota, for having me out to speak at your church last weekend. Be sure to check out their incredible homeschool academy, Creative Academy, at mycreativeacademy.org. They are doing some tremendous work. If you're in the Twin Cities area, be sure to check them out. Well, we've been talking on the show about the 10 to 12 to hundreds of the toxic traits of traditional schooling. And it was really remarkable to talk with parents and hear this national perspective of what's going on. Certainly, as I've been traveling this summer, I've been hearing that everywhere, that God is drawing the hearts of parents back to their children. And parents, it is time for us to step up, for us to rescue the next generation. If you haven't already heard, my new book, Outsourced, is available now. It's available at OutsourceTheBook.com or on Amazon, Kindle. You can find all of my books, blogs, podcasts, all of our resources at cvcu.us on the president's page. That's Chula Vista Christian University. And if you have questions about the parent-directed model of education or really of any of our homeschool academy models or how to start your own, you can actually email us your questions at radio at cvcu.us. That's Chula Vista Christian University. And we will answer as many of those questions as we can on the show. I want to shout out some more churches who are stepping up into the rescue mission. We have more pastors across the nation who are willing to open up their empty church campuses during the week and be the change, be the rescue mission for the next generation. This week, we have Trenton, New Jersey and Abilene, Texas. Well done, pastors. If you'd like to know more about how you can play a vital role in rescuing the outsourced generation, just go to cvcu.us and click the tab that says Start an Academy. And I'll be talking about this topic at the Turning Point USA Pastor Summit coming up this week, so be sure to tune in for that event as well. Well, last week on the show, we talked about this beautiful interweaving of the developmental puzzle pieces through the lifespan. Last week, we covered the ages where children learn trust, when they attach, when they form a worldview, which is age 13 parents, age 13, their worldview is formed. 
and why parents are the vital connective tissue here, how our own habits will create a child who is, let's face it, a brat, a bully, or a blessing to the community. So let's jump in with the next stage, the teen years, 13 to 19. Again, worldview is developed by 13. So kids have an idea of why, what they believe and sometimes even why they believe it. But this phase, Erickson called identity versus role confusion. Who am I? Now, you know, as well as I do, that identity is the key target right now of the enemy for teenagers. And in the teen years, this task of developing a sense of self and personal identity, this is kind of the key factor of development, Erickson believed. In modern culture, we see adolescence as the bridge from childhood to adulthood, but that's not the same around the world and definitely wasn't the same in the past in America. Now, uh, uh, you know, at that time, adulthood and related expectations of adulthood fell closer to the age of 12. Today, it's more like 30 is when people are feeling like they become, we've got this whole juvenileization of culture, even Neil Postman wrote about it back in the day already, saw it coming. Um, but the main challenge in this growth stage is that idea of who am I, role confusion. In a healthy environment where freedom and clear boundaries exist, a teen can emerge from this role with a healthy sense of identity, who I am in Christ, what am I called to? And Erickson defines the success of the stage as our ability to answer two questions. What skills or interests do I have and what will I do with them? So there has to be some sense of impetus, who am I? And a failure to develop those leads to a weak sense of self, which is exactly what we're seeing in the culture around us, this weakened sense of self. The next phase is intimacy versus versus isolation. That's ages 19 to 40. I know that's a big life, a big age span, but that task of developing deep, close personal relationship, it does run across the lifespan because we were created as relational beings in the image of a relational triune God. And so when we see close, caring relationships with other people, this is the heart of God's DNA for us. Adults have a natural drive for forming relationships, loving relationships with other people, but that that drive, that natural desire can be blocked by early relational failure, by relational loss, by wounds, by learned patterns of behavior. Even as we talked about last week by the overproduction of bonding hormones, when there are multiple romantic relationships and the body's being used in ways it wasn't designed to be used. But the success of this stage is marked by strong relationships and the failure in this stage is loneliness and isolation. There are driving forces in modern Western culture that kind of try to fill in relationship with pseudo relational connective tools that, that are trying to fill in this void that's left behind by unhealthy parent attachments that we've been talking about on the show as well. And so we want to be really careful in this phase about really developing those long-term healthy relationships. The next phase that Erickson talked about, uh, the one of the last two, is generativity. And he, he talked about generativity versus stagnation, ages 40 to 65. And I love this phase of generativity because I'm in speaking around the country, I'm talking with a lot of grandparents who feel like they can't really go back and change the way that they raise their kids, but they want to be part of the solution. And so encouraging them to get involved involved in this stage to give back, to be able to pour into others. And I love just the focus on 
because there's an increase in overall health and well-being. And so people are living longer, they're living longer, healthier. And so all over the country, we see things like centers for longevity and wisdom, really trying to help people to utilize that gift and that talent that they have. And I love this because for a long time, our culture has really disrespected and dishonored the elderly. You know, we've tucked away the youngest young and the oldest old in preschools and nursing homes, and we have not given people an opportunity to develop the multi-generational model that God calls us to, compels us to in the book of Titus and Timothy. Um, One of my friends, I think, is a great example of generativity uh, when he was 40, which sounds young now. (laughs) But when he was 40, my friend Alan, his dad asked him, what do you want to do with the next 40 years of your life? And he looked at his very successful job in the corporate world and went, you know, not this. I don't want to do this. And so he stopped everything he was doing. He started this global leadership program for kids and he's fulfilled. And I, I think it's just such a great role model because we we have so much to give back. And when we can knit all of these developmental stages together, when we can give back and when we can receive, I mean, this is where a lot of parents and grandparents, maybe even listening to the show right now, maybe you find yourself here. Maybe your kids are grown up you're, and they're married and you're thinking, what's next for me? And this is the call to generativity. There are other cultures where people's gifts and talents are utilized their whole lives long and they they have a sense of purpose. In fact, the longest living cultures in the world, like Okinawa, Japan, they have a sense of connectivity through the lifespan and elders are respected for what they bring to the table. And so I would love to see that return to our US culture because there's a whole generation out there that needs your wisdom, parents. It needs your encouragement, grandparents. It needs your lessons learned. And we can help rescue the next generation from these public school indoctrination centers if we all work together. And the final, one of the final stages, Erickson later added another one, but I'll focus here on 65 to death, which was integrity versus despair. You know, looking back on our lives with a sense of accomplishment and fulfillment or the reverse, tragically looking back with bitterness and regret and despair over the failures of life. I'm sure you've heard the saying that at the end of a person's life, he doesn't say, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. He says, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. And that sense of regret over personal failure, over relational failure is pervasive. Many successful business people find themselves facing that sense of despair because they haven't invested the time into their families, the relationships that last, um, the relationships that are that are are meaningful, are most meaningful, are most permanent, are most um, really the ones that we're called to steward. And so when we look at these developmental stages, we have an opportunity to, to give and to receive, to pour into others, but also to be poured into. That is the rich intergenerational mentor model, the IGM that I'm so passionate about. And one of the ways that we're taking back education across the United States is through our programs at Chula Vista Christian University, through our K-14 program, which starts students in preschool in community groups with parents, all the way through college where students graduate. Um, two years out of high school, they have, are able to graduate from college. And our homeschool support academies that have now rescued over 1,400 students from government indoctrination systems known as public schools. And we want to inspire more homeschoolers, like families listening to the show to help us mentor and inspire and equip the harvest of new home educators in our midst, because American education is broken beyond repair. It needs 
not to be mended, but to be ended and start over, raise it completely, start over because there's so much brokenness in the system. So our, our model is, is actually built by homeschoolers for homeschoolers because I had already done both my whole life, a college professor and homeschooler. I had already educated my own children from K to college. And I saw this tremendous fruit that set them apart from their counterparts. I saw that we could have authority and agency into the people that would be speaking into their lives. You know, um, Luke 640 says that the student, when fully trained, will become like the teachers. And we look around today at, again, Plato's two questions, who's teaching the children and what are they being taught? And uh, wow, it's really shocking. It's sobering. It's frightening. Um, You know, a lot of parents are their authority is being undermined in the in the public school. Their Christian faith is being undermined, mocked. And here we are giving money to schools that literally mock our conservative values. We empower their voices and their vision. If we want to topple the power structure, we have to sever the financial tie. And so that's really what we've uh, what we've started doing here at Chula Vista Christian University. Piaget was a Swiss developmental psychologist, and he's he's credited with being the first researcher who began theorizing that young adult children, young children process information differently from adults. I know that seems really obvious to us, but we say social science is kind of the study of the obvious, the research of the obvious. But Piaget worked at a school for boys, and it was run by Alfred Binet. You've heard the Binet intelligence test. And as he began watching children, he theorized that they're thinking differently, they're processing differently. And as any good researcher, he was curious, and that curiosity led him to research that proposed these stages of cognitive development in young children. And as he studied them, including his own three children, he studied them. We do that as parents. It's really fun. Uh, But he developed the sequence of intellectual development that he divided into four stages. The sensory motor stage, which is birth to age two, where kids experience the world through movement and senses, perceiving just from an egocentric viewpoint. They're the center of the universe. Some people actually never grow out of that one. Haha. Then the pre-operational stage, which is ages two to seven, Kids begin to acquire motor skills that give them greater interactive control. They live in a world of what's been called magical thinking. And this is, I want you to listen to how this is defined in the secular literature and secular schools. The belief that a person's thoughts can bring about change in the physical world. Now, when you look up this study, an accepted study in developmental psychology, the anti-Christian bias is so clear. It makes a comparison of laying on of hands or prayer that's grouped with magical thinking, thinking that what we do in the physical universe can, can impact somebody else's life or the spiritual universe. So again, this is one of those many, many embedded anti-Christian constructs. So, uh, but, but, but PJ was con- convinced this is how, this is how children are thinking. Ego, uh, egocentrism starts to weaken around that stage. The brain starts to develop. They start to be aware of other people. Uh, in the third stage, which is called concrete operational, that's ages seven to 11, kids begin to think more logically, more concretely. Their egocentrum, egocentrism is replaced by what PJ called sociocentrum, and they're aware of the larger culture. And then in the final stage, the formal operational stage, which is 11 and up, uh, they have abstract reasoning, conservation, logic. There are lots of fun tests. If you look at Piaget's test, we always did them on our kids. They're lots of fun. Uh, but like Erickson's stages, we can use this research to develop systems and strategies that will help our children learn and grow and reach their highest potential. And one of these is learning styles. A lot of parents ask me questions about learning styles because one of my early questions when parents come 
to me and say that they're not experts in their children. And, and many parents are disconnected from their children if their kids have been in traditional education for eight hours a day and then in sports or you know doing homework another three hours. They're, they're, they're disconnected, obviously. But uh, one of the questions I'll ask is, how does your child learn best? What's your fa- child's favorites? You know, favorite books, favorite um, activities. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of disconnect there where parents really don't know their children well, as many parents have already said on my show as I've interviewed them. But this piece on learning styles is such a great element for you to start with, really getting to know your children. How do they learn best? And Spoiler alert, it may not be the way that you as the parent learn, as I found out. My oldest child learned just like me, processed just like me, overanalyzed like me, and I thought for sure I had this whole parenting thing down. People would come up and ask me, how'd you get such a smart kid? Parenting, easy, right? Hashtag easy. But then my next child came along and I made our study room quiet, peaceful, as I would define it, and she couldn't focus. When I launched into reading materials, she wanted to talk first, sometimes for 45 minutes, and my successful teacher her mindset started spiraling into this negative self-talk that made me question my ability as a home educator because I was thinking through the lens of my own learning style. Can anybody relate to that? The good news is that this is totally normal. We all learn, we all process differently, uniquely. It's not always evident at first, but like the invisible spectrum of light, these differences are there. They're outside our spectrum of 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 sight, but they're, they're existent. And so this means that we have to stretch outside of our, our comfort zones in order to teach our children most effectively. When I, when I first started graduate school at Regent University, it was the first time that I'd been in a classroom that was not controlled by anti-Christian laws of a pagan system. It was a Christian college and all my education prior to that moment had been secular. And my, my very first professor, Dr. Graves started his class with these words. He said, I'm not a papa bird dispensing worms to my baby students. I am engaged in a journey of transformational learning, and I expect to learn something from each of you. You can, you can already tell how this fueled my development of CVCU. These words were so powerful and deposited such a seed in me. But at first, I was honestly a little freaked out because I thought, here I am, a lowly grad student. How am I going to teach somebody who has so much experience? What could this person possibly learn from me? But this admonition turned a lecture hall into a living workshop where synergistic exchanges of thought would inspire us as students. It led to greater creativity, a renewed passion for learning. This is the model that I build into all the homeschool academies across the nation, because this is what's igniting the fire of hope and curiosity in the next generation of students. And that that was a transformative moment for me, both as a student and as an educator. I'd already been teaching at that point. Uh, since it was grad school, I'd already been teaching with my undergrad degree. But after after I had that experience in his class, I really started to do a lot less of the worm dispensing. And I think that's one of the reasons Dr. Graves has remained as one of my favorite teachers, because he really unlocked something in there. Um, many teachers find that transference of power and position to be difficult because they've they've been trained you know, to be the sage on the stage and not the guide on the side. Some people find it extraordinarily uncomfortable to move from lecture-based teaching to inquiry-based learning. But Friends, it is a must. If you're an educator, it is a must. If you're a parent, it is a must. If you're a parent, you're an educator. 
but they want to keep an emotional distance from their students. This is not healthy. We say where rigor meets relationship at CVCU. We want our students to be able to connect. That's mentorship. That's discipleship. Having a wall between you that's artificial, that veneer, that's that's not discipleship, friends. Now, I understand the hesitation, but Malcolm Knowles, the father of adult learning, pointed out that most students will thrive best in an arena of shared learning. And our own journey of meaning making is further enhanced through appropriate levels of connectivity and transparency. So at CVCU, we say we learn in circles rather than rows. Circles are greater than rows. Maybe you remember studying Howard Gardner's multiple intelligence theory. It was first first published in the book Frames of Mind. I think that was maybe 1983. But it became this classical model that helps us understand intelligence, learning style, personality, behavior, Uh, differentiated learning, which was popularized by Ellison Gardner, is is a, a way of looking at diverse methodologies of learning, of helping students demonstrate their knowledge. It's an environment where all students are included and they can be successful. A lot of colleges in their brokenness expect students to jump through the same kinds of hoops. And it's, again, it's not individualized. It's, it, education is not a one size fits all model. And that's one of the beauties of the homeschool movement is you can tailor your educational process to not only the learning styles of your children, but also to the gift and call that's on their lives. America was built on grassroots movements. And if we will, if we will start to, to shift the culture, if we will start to step into the zone of responsibility, of authority as parents, listen, we're going to see tremendous cultural change. If you are in 11th or 12th grade, if you have a child in 11th or 12th grade or a grandchild, you can start college today at CVCU. Well, uh, next month when college starts, but you can start right now. You can apply. Uh, Go to cvcu.us to learn more about what we're doing. Don't forget to check out my latest book, Outsourced at OutsourceTheBook.com or on on, on Amazon, Kindle, uh, and also uh, our radio at cvcu.us for questions. If you're new to the show, make sure you scroll back. We've got lots of podcasts on my podcast station. And then you can visit us at cvcu.us to learn more. If you're a pastor, I want you to go on to the Start an Academy tab so we can help you become part of the rescue mission and get your church active in this realm. Again, I'm Dr. Lisa Dine. Thanks again for joining me on today's show. I'll be back more with more of our toxic trade analysis and some tips that will help you stay connected through the lifespan next week. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again for joining us here on The Communication Architect. If you have questions about today's episode or if there are topics you'd like to see us address, send your comments via Instagram to at Dr. Lisa Dunn or via email to contact at drlisadunn.com. That's D-R-L-I-S-A-D-U-N-N-E.com. And remember, strategic communication will help you build greater emotional health and relational resilience. So don't miss the next episode. I'm Dr. Lisa Nunn, and I look forward to talking with you next time right here on The Communication Architect.